book of Philippians. You ready for the book of Philippians? We're going to learn a lot tonight about Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, that the word is precious and that it feeds and that it builds faith. And Lord, I pray that tonight there is a voice behind my voice, that there is a supernatural revelation that comes into the heart of every person here. Lord, the more we know about you, the mightier and the bolder we're going to be. And I pray that tonight there is a supernatural impartation and you will teach us the mighty word of God. Now, can you pray, church, and say, Lord, speak to me tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you're going to get stronger tonight. All righty. We're looking tonight at Let This Mind Be In You. And somebody needs to grab Tyler because this is not working. Tyler, please. This is not one of those good nights. We need some, but there it goes. All right. That's encouraging, but it's, it's hanging on me. We good, Tyler? I'm sorry, folks. This happens a lot. We're trying. We're working with brand new equipment, and that's part of our issue. It's brand new. And uh, so we're getting the bugs out of it. And it's still not working. <clears throat> okay, there it goes. But it's lagging. Okay. Mm. Okay, all right. We saw, we're just going to go this way. Everybody ready? We saw last time that Christians are to be of the same mind. Can you say with me the same mind? And have the same love for one another. Unity is essential for victory over Satan's forces. Absolutely. Okay. We also saw that we are called to look out for the interests of others, which is to have the mind of Christ. Now we begin this time with what's been called the most conspicuous and magnificent of the dogmatic utterances of the New Testament. In fact, what we're about to read lays out for us, and I, I tell you, I feel like I'm going on holy ground when we get into this, because this is incredible, incredible stuff. We're going to see that beyond all certainty, Jesus Christ is genuinely divine, as he is genuinely human. Now, it begins with an exhortation. Let's look at it. Read it with me, everybody. Let this mind, well, that's two of you. Let's try it again. Oh, y'all don't have it. I do. Okay, what do I do here? You can't turn around that way. Okay. We ought, to, we ought to have an anointing service over this equipment. We really should. I thought we were upgrading. It's almost like we downgraded. But let's, let's go on. Read it with me. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, it's important to note that Paul uses the messianic title, Christ Jesus. Now, the order of the names and the titles of the Lord is always a matter of precision in the New Testament. You know, when you read the Bible, you realize that God didn't waste a word, a comma, 
a quotation. Christ Jesus places the emphasis on the exalted one who emptied himself. You start out with Christ, that's the exalted one. Jesus who emptied himself. Now the order is switched when you say Jesus Christ in order to describe the despised and rejected one who was afterward glorified. So when you say Jesus, that's the one who humbled himself and later was exalted. It testifies of his resurrection. Christ Jesus suggests his grace. Jesus Christ suggests his glory. Now as the Christ, Jesus was the anointed one, the Messiah so long ago promised in the scriptures and awaited by the Jews. The Lord never gloried in his position, but I want you to notice something. When somebody called him Lord, he never denied it. So either he was crazy, what we would call today psychotic, deluded, or he was who he said he was. Now, Philippians 2.5 tells us that the mind of the Christ is to be the mind of the Christian. We're to think like him. That's why it talks about in Romans 12.1, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is the renewing of your mind? When you learn to think like Jesus thought, see like Jesus saw, walk like Jesus walked, talk like Jesus talked. Matter of fact, we ought to be little Christ, now not perfect, but growing, running around. That's what the church is. A bunch of Christians or little Christ or people more and more becoming like him. We didn't embrace a set of rules and regulations. We embraced a person. And when we did, it was God's intent that we become like him. Now the word translated, let this mind be, is the word meaning to think of. Or to be mindful of. So we are to think as he thought. We are to do as he did. Now next we come to Paul's Christology. Now what's Christology? That's what you say in seminary, what you call the doctrine of Christ, what you believe about Christ. Now let me tell you what's happening in our world today. What we're about to look at is under great attack. This time of year, you're going to see Time Magazine, Newsweek, and some of the other total predictable magazines, secular magazines out there, who are going to do front cover stories questioning the resurrection, questioning the deity of Christ, questioning who he was, attacking what we believe about him. And that's why I love teaching the Word of God, because we're at war. And I fully intend to fight back with the truth. And if the church doesn't grab the truth now, folks, and stand up and preach and teach the Word of God, we're going to go under. But I've made up my mind, if I have anything to do with it in this neck of the woods, we're not going under. We're going to preach and teach the truth. How do you encounter, how do you encounter, how do you come up against error? With the truth. How do you fight the enemy? With the truth. I talked to a room full of police officers today at a, at a luncheon. And I shared with them, I said, you know, you wouldn't go out on your beat today without bullets in your gun. And they said, oh, no, we wouldn't do that. And I said, no, you wouldn't. But guess what? We in the spiritual arena have bullets for our gun. And the bullets are the word of God. When Jesus was attacked by the devil, he said, it is written, pow. And the devil came back to him and hit him with another one. And Jesus said, bang, it is written. 
And to go out without bullets in your gun is suicide. Now, what are we saying? That when Newsweek and Time and other mags come out and say, well, we just don't think that Jesus is what the church has traditionally said. We come back and say, it is written. And here's what the Lord said. And we're about to see what the Bible says about the one that we worship tonight. Now, first, we're going to see the Son of God as very God. Look at verse 6 and read this with me. This is so powerful. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. What in the world does that mean? Watch this. First, Paul tells us that Christ Jesus was in the form of God. Now, the Greek word for form is morphe, and it means the essential form, the essence of. Jesus Christ was and is the very essence of God. He didn't have some God in him. He was essentially God. He was not a nice guy that walked around in the first century wearing sandals, loving on people, saying neat things. God wrapped himself in skin. He became a human being. And when he became a human being, get this, he was still all God. He didn't just know God. He didn't just speak for God. He was God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. In the beginning was with God. And the Word was Theos, God. And anything that takes him down from that is false teaching, is from the devil, is wrong, is a lie, and is an attack against the faith that we hold dear. Now, the whole nature and essence of deity was wrapped up in Jesus Christ. As Jesus once told Philip, he said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? Read the red. Read the red. You want to know what God is like? Read the red. Watch Jesus walking up to people, loving on them, healing them, feeling their pain, delivering them of devils, raising the dead, teaching like no man ever taught with wisdom that was irrefutable. Watch him in the red ink, just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you see God in human form. Do we get that tonight? Because anything less than that is cultic and demonic and is of the spirit of Antichrist. Let me put it in layman's terms. He who came to be man in every sense of the word was also God in every sense of the word. Jesus was all man and all God. He was the God-man. And it's important to clarify that in becoming a man, Jesus never yielded up or lost one iota of his divinity. When he became a man, he did not leave some of his godness in heaven. Christ's incarnation was not an emptying of himself, of his deity, catch this, 
The incarnation did not mean that Jesus emptied himself of deity to become a man. He did not do that. But it does mean he clothed himself in humanity so that he could be a servant. So when Jesus looked at you in the eye, oh, I just can't, it just moves on me. It's it's almost more than my mind can handle. But if you looked at Jesus in the eye, you were looking straight into the eyes of God. Pastor Jeff, that's, that's pretty strong. That's exactly what your Bible teaches. And that's exactly what Philippians is telling us. We call this Christology. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? He's not to be fooled with. He's not to be taken lightly. He's not just one of other world religious leaders. He's not even in that stratosphere. He's in his own category, his own arena, his own spot. He was God in flesh and is. Now, why should this even matter to us tonight? It matters because there is a great battle raging in our culture today as to who Jesus really was. His death, burial, and resurrection are questioned every time this time of Easter, as I shared with you a little little while ago. And cults, like the Jehovah's Witnesses tell people every day, did you know this? That Jesus was not God. If they come knocking on your door and you open the door and listen to them, they'll tell you Jesus was not God. Jehovah's Witnesses will deny the Trinity. They deny that Jesus is or ever was Almighty God. And they will reduce him to only a good man on earth. That's what cults do. Cults always marginalize Jesus Christ. They always take away from him something the Bible gives to him. They always steal from him. It's not the testimony of Scripture. Scripture says he was very God. Now, when he was born of a virgin, he was all God, all man. As he grew up in Joseph's carpenter shop, he was still all God, all man. Following his water baptism when the Spirit descended, he was all God, all man. Throughout his three years of ministry, he was all God, and he was all man. And guess what? While hanging on the cross, taking your sins and mine upon himself, even when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for a brief time was separated from God the Father, he did not at that moment lose his deity. He never became less than all God. He remained all God and all man on that cross. And goes without saying, when he rose from the dead, all God. Now, when Jesus became a man, he did not and could not cease to be God. As God, here's who he was. He was the eternal, the uncreated. He was never made. Nobody ever said, let there be, and Jesus came to be. You know why? Because he always was. Now, here's where my mind short circuits. Because my mind demands that I stay with the finite. My mind demands that something's got to begin and something's got to end. I can't conceive of something that's always been. I just have to take it by faith because the Bible says so. But our God was never created and Christ was never created. He always was. 
My mind short circuits there. But it's true. You know, Pastor Jeff, he was born. That just, he, he went from one place to another. Yes, he was born. But that doesn't mean he was created then. He always was. He changed forms. He changed places. He changed contexts. But he was God before he was born. He was God when he was born. And he was God after he rose from the dead. He was the eternal, uncreated, self-existing creator of the universe. The one whom angels worshipped. Because Christ was God and had always been God. Guess, get this now. Paul tells us he did not think that it was an act of robbery to be equal with God. Put another way, Jesus counted it not as a prize that he was on an equality with God. How, how can it be a prize to, to get on an equality with God when you've always been God? That's why he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God because that's what he'd always been. And get this, everything that has ever been created, when God there in the beginning, Genesis 1, said, let there be, Jesus, according to the word of God in John 1, was right there and everything that was created flowed through his fingertips. We serve a mighty Christ and he's coming back. He came as the lion or he came as the lamb and he's coming back as the lion. And I'd much rather meet him as the lamb than the lion. Because when he comes back, it's going to be to judge the world. And believe me, this Christ, this God, this one who came to live among us is not to be trifled with. Now next, Paul focuses on his servanthood. He says in verse 7, read it with me everybody, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of bondservant. Now before uh, we read the next part, think with me a minute. Why is Paul telling us this? Because there had been strife in the Philippian church. And here's the way he's dealing with the strife. He's saying, if you would become everybody's servant, like he became a servant of God and was born among us and took him upon himself the form of a servant, if you can do likewise and serve one another, the strife will cease. Because servanthood destroys selfish ambition. So remember now, keep in mind, he launched into this Christology because there was conflict in the church. And he wants us to learn from Jesus. So we're learning from Jesus. This one who was and is mighty God, think about it, he became a servant. Wow. Paul says he became a man in order to be a servant. Now the phrase made himself of no reputation, here's what it means, emptied. So Jesus emptied himself. But again, he didn't empty himself of his deity. In eternity past, Christ was not only equal with God, he existed in the essential form, morphe, of God. In the act of becoming a servant, the Lord Jesus deliberately, here's what he did, here's what he emptied himself of, not his deity, but he abandoned the glory 
and the majesty he had with the Father before the world began. That's what he gave up on. That's what he left behind, the glory and the majesty. And the Bible says he condescended. You know, we could preach this for a year and not fully get it. It's so profound. But here's the mighty living God. He sees man fall. He decides to become one of us. He condescends. He wraps himself in a human body and lives among us. And he's going to tell us in a little bit, goes all the way from servanthood to death on the cross. Oh, what love. Incomprehensible. He gave up that glory. He did not empty himself of the divine attributes. He did not cease to be God, even though he took upon himself the outward characteristics of a servant. Commentator John Phillips writes this. Quote, he assumed all that was essentially human without relinquishing anything that was essentially divine. Powerful stuff. Now the word for servant is the Greek word doulos, and doulos usually means slave. He took upon himself the form of a slave, but he didn't become a man's slave. No, he was God's slave. He became the bondservant of his father. He came to always do the things that please the Father. His prayer was first and always, let's say it together, thy will be done. Jesus didn't come to be our slave. He came to be the Father's bondservant and be his servant all the way to the cross so that we could be redeemed. That is very powerful. Paul went on to say, and he was made in the likeness of men. Wow. Stop and think a moment. When God said, let us make man. Now let me take you back a little bit. First of all, any evolutionists in here? Okay, because evolution will make a monkey out of you. All right, now, uh, <laughs> you caught that. Some of you got that. Some of you get it on the way home. All right, now watch this. I'm going to take you back when God created man, the first man, Adam and Eve. All right, now, he said, let us make man. And then he added, in our image, powerful now, after our likeness. How do he make man? In his image, after his likeness. All right? Man was created to be as much like God as a creature could possibly be. God endowed him with intellect, emotions, and will. Now let's look further what he gave us. He gave man a body so that we could see, hear, taste, smell, and feel. But then God gave us something that set us apart from all of the created order. He gave us a spirit. His body, our body, made us conscious of the things around us. Our soul made us self-conscious. Can I tell you about animals? They're not self-conscious. They never look for a mirror. They don't walk, wake up in the morning and go, I wonder how my hair looks. They're not worried about, they're not walking around thinking, you know, I'm a rabbit. They don't do that. Are you aware of that? Have you ever noticed your dog thinks he's one of you? But animals have no self-consciousness. 
They do not look at themselves like we do. They can't. But our soul made us the only creature God created to be self-conscious. Aware that we are a distinct individual with attributes. We have nature, personality, potential, responsibilities, accountability. We look a certain way. We have identity. Those animals don't have that. They never once think, I'm a dog, I'm a rabbit, I'm a frog, I'm a fly, I'm a moth, I'm a snake. I know a few snakes. I'm sorry. But animals don't do that. They have no self. They don't think I'm a bird, I'm an eagle, I'm a hawk. They never think that. They just live by instinct. But not us. We're aware. Our spirit made us God conscious. Our soul made us self conscious. But our spirit made us God conscious. When we worshiped a little while ago, We commune with God via our spirit. The spirit God gave us is the vehicle by which we fellowship with God. If we didn't have a spirit, we could not fellowship with God. Now, our spirit makes us aware that we exist to worship and to serve the creator. And on top of all that, when God made Adam and Eve, He put the Holy Spirit within them. The Holy Spirit indwelt their human spirit. And they were creatures inhabited by God. No rabbit, dog, bird, hawk, anything can say that. But man could say, I have a spirit and my spirit is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that's what makes me distinct from all the created order. That's why it's way worse to kill a human than any other creature because we're made in the image of God. When God created the animals, he made them to be controlled by instinct. An animal does what it does because it is what it is. Dogs, bird, reptiles, fish, insects all behave in certain ways because they're locked into those ways of behaving by instinctive God-given inner drives. But not man. Man was not to be controlled by instinct. But he was to be inhabited by God. His code of behavior was to be dictated by the indwelling Holy Spirit. That was God's plan. So Adam and Eve walked around with unbroken fellowship with God, controlled by the Holy Spirit. Thus man lived and moved and had his being in God. Man existed to demonstrate what God is like. Wow. But when Adam sinned, let me tell you what happened. The Holy Spirit vacated the human spirit. And man began to be controlled by the principle of sin instead of God. When Adam ate and Eve ate of that forbidden tree, the Holy Ghost departed from them. He detached himself from their spirit. And immediately his body became subject to disease and death. His senses were marred by imperfection and were subject to lust. His intellect, emotions, and will were impaired and darkened. Became very easy prey to evil and wrong. As Paul wrote elsewhere, look what he said, Ephesians 4.18, quote, And they are dark in their intellects. Talking about people apart from Christ. They are dark in their intellects. 
They can be real smart, but be in total spiritual darkness. And they are aliens to the life of God. They don't know the life of God because there is no knowledge in them. That is God knowledge, no knowledge of the real, true, living God. And because of the blindness of their hearts. So look at how it describes them. It says their intellects have been darkened. Their minds are darkened. They are in spiritual darkness. They're alienated from the life of God. That's what happened when man fell. Okay. Put bluntly, man in sin is a distortion of man in the image of God. We in sin are not what God planned or intended. Now, no wonder Jesus said, in light of this, you must be born again. Without the miracle of being born again, the new birth, we are born in the flesh, born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and spiritually dead. Can I tell you the truth about the human race? There's a book that came out that was so popular, I'm okay, you're okay. Not true. We're not okay. Until we get saved, we are in peril. Because we are disconnected from the life of God, we are in spiritual darkness, we're alienated from God, and we are hell-bound unless we come to Christ and our sin is washed away. But when we turn to Christ, the blood of Jesus cleanses away all our sin. And the Holy Spirit comes back. Thank God the Holy Spirit comes back. He was grieved away, but when we come to Christ, it opens the way for the Holy Spirit to come back into our human spirit, and He regenerates our human spirit. And for the first time in our whole life, we are alive in God. Amen. The Bible says, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, all of this background information is important to understand what Paul meant when he said that Jesus was made in the likeness of men. He took on the likeness of men. Jesus was man as God intended him to be in the beginning. His spirit was always ruled by the Holy Spirit. Christ's intellect, emotions, will and nature, personality and physical powers were all under the control of the Holy Spirit every microsecond of his life. Think about this. Jesus never one time had to say, oops, God, forgive me. Oh, Father, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Or Father, forgive me. I shouldn't have thought that. Or wow, Lord, forgive me because I've got a bad attitude. Never. Never, never. He was always ruled by the Spirit as Adam was meant to be. What Adam lost in his fall into sin, Christ gave back to us in his perfect life. So Philippians 2, 5 through 7 can be summed up this way. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men might become the sons of God. <laughs> Gosh. That just moves all over me. I just got Holy Ghost bumps for a minute there. Isn't that powerful? Let's go back. Go back to that. And let's read that together. Because this is Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Let's say it. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. Isn't that beautiful? 
So the Lord Jesus deliberately abandoned the glory and the majesty he had with the Father before the world began, that we might be restored to the glory we lost through Adam. Our spiritual life, eternal life, and godly minds, let this mind be in you, were all restored through Christ. But Paul goes further in describing Jesus. He says in verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He didn't stop with servanthood. He went all the way to the cross. Now here's what had bothered Paul when he was Saul. When Paul was Saul and was attacking the church, his problem, he could not accept the claims of the church and mercilessly persecuted her because they were preaching the cross. His problem was the cross. To Paul, who was Saul, the cross was the impossible thing about Christianity. The life, the teachings, and the miracles of Jesus were extraordinary, but Scripture said, and Paul knew this, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. The idea that the man who claimed to be Israel's Messiah should die an accursed death, cursed by the law, cursed by God, was not just outrageous to Paul. It was blasphemous. He could not wrap his mind around it. Then one day, Saul met the risen Christ, blinded by the brightness of his glory. And Paul, Saul, heard his voice, and he surrendered instantly to his claims, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? From then on, catch this, what had seemed the most impossible thing about Christianity became the most impressive thing about Christianity to Paul. The converted Paul wrote these words, quote, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And the apostles' theme, song, wherever he went from then on, was the cross. If you heard Paul, you heard about the cross. He wrote in Galatians 6, 14, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What's he boasting in? The cross. He told the Corinthians, quote, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him, what? Crucified. Everywhere he went, he preached the cross. I've noticed something in preaching. I've been preaching a long time and I've noticed something that any time I talk about the cross, which I always try to do somewhere in the message, something happens to the audience. The preaching of the cross has a power that is always anointed by and owned by the Holy Ghost. Even if you say you don't believe it, when you hear about the cross, Something about that cross, that old rugged cross where he died for you and me, finds its way through all of the obstacles in your mind and all of the strongholds in your soul. And it wings its way into your heart because you know that the cross of Jesus Christ is where your sin was dealt with. That's where it happened. So we preach the cross. We have no other message. If I could go on CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS tomorrow, I would get that cross in there. You better know I'd get that cross in there. 
Because that cross is powerful, folks. Your identity is in the cross. You will find yourself in the cross. Your life is in the cross. Your deliverance is in the cross. Your healing is in the cross. The Holy Spirit is at the cross. Your redemption is at the cross. The cross is where you lose hell and gain heaven. The cross. The cross of Jesus Christ was the central theme of Paul's message. The core of every sermon he delivered to the lost. What is our message to Fort Worth, Johnson County, everything around? At the cross. For the church to cease preaching the cross, which many of them have, God, God help us. That there are churches who have quit preaching the cross. The necessity of going to the cross. The forgiveness of the cross. The power of the cross. We don't want to talk about that bloody cross. We want to talk about motivation. Getting rich. Being successful. No, 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 no. They don't preach the cross, don't preach the word. They won't say the word sin. But sin's the whole reason there was a cross. For the church to cease preaching the cross is nothing short of gutting the Christian message of its essence. If we took the sun from our solar system, all would be plunged into darkness and death. So it is to take the cross from the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all about the cross here, but not just the cross. What's beyond the cross? Resurrection. Easter's coming. Amen? And it's coming because there was a cross. And next time, Paul's going to take us from the horror of the cross to the heights of Christ's exaltation. You don't want to miss next week. Can we stand? How many of you are thankful that though the Holy Ghost had departed from us, he returns when you come to that cross. Amen. 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 Father, we just thank you right now for the goodness of God. We thank you, Lord, for blessing us and helping us and ministering to us. But Lord, when we were lost in our sins, we thank you especially that there on that cross, you died for us while we were yet sinners. You gave your life for us. And we thank you, Lord, that at that very moment, our sin was nailed to the cross with you. And Lord, we died to our old life on that cross. And we were allowed a new life because of that cross. So Lord, we stand here tonight thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ. Thankful for the day that we called on you and bowed at the foot of that cross. Thank you for the sin that rolled away and the Holy Spirit that came to dwell within us once again. Help us, Lord, as a church to take that message to the entire world, beginning with right here in this city. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Where your blood was shed for me. There's no greater love than this And you have overcome the grave Glory fills the highest place What can separate me now? If you're thankful for that cross, lift your hand to him and just thank him. Thank him, Lord. 